Hello everyone, welcome back to the True Crime Friday podcast. I'm here to give you a quick disclaimer, as per usual, before each episode. And this is another dark one. Um, it's a very famous one if you're from the UK, so you might actually recognise this case. So just before we go into it, I need to tell you now that this episode will contain mentions of paedophilia, grooming... Uh, sexual assault, rape, and violence, and child murder that some people may find upsetting and or disturbing. And if that is the case, this may not be the episode for you. This week we will be putting out helplines to do with our our this case and the last two previous cases that we have covered on the podcast. They will be all going on to our Instagram at uh, True Crime Friday Podcast. And also on my Twitter at Panda, if you want to go check that out, uh, if you do feel like you have been affected by the cases that we have covered. Uh, but yeah, on with the episode. Hello? Hello. Jinx. Uh, oh, one sec. I need to turn my volume up a bit more. There we go. What'd you say? Jinx. Oh, we said goodness. it at the same time. Hi, how you doing? <clears throat> I'm doing good. Feel energised. Just it a bit more. <clears throat> crumble. S- say that again? I ate a bit of crumble. Oh, okay, okay, now... Crumble, crumble. I know I'm Scottish. Should I speak more top of the morning? Should I speak some Irish, maybe? No? Are you going to stand me then? I or mean, do I have I to mean, sound... I mean, I couldn't... My volume, my volume was acting up, so that's why I couldn't hear you. It wasn't... I couldn't understand you. Oh, I have to sound you. British. Oh, bugger. No, because no one needs to do that. No. No, no one needs that shit. I just, like, no... no. I, I'm British and not even I'll say no. Yeah, no, I did that as a joke. I don't know why. No one sounds like that. No, yeah, no one sounds like that. No, no Brit sounds like that. So, American listeners, if you are listening to this and you have gotten to the point where we're telling you that all British people don't sound like that, reality check. We don't. <laughs> I mean, if, been, if I think if they, if they think if they've been listening to me, they should kind of figure that out that not all British people sound posh and proper. I wonder what example we are giving, because people people obviously listen for the true crime stuff, but they they obviously have to listen to us. I wonder if we're setting a, a decent example. I think we're setting the, uh, a more or less realistic who... example. Oh, I think so. Yes. I think it's a realistic one hundred percent. We're all cunts, basically. Cunt count. Wait, there's gonna be a there's gonna be a cunt count for this one. This case has got a cunt count for real. That's four times already. Damn. Well, the best way to describe this guy is a class A cunt. Like that. That's that's the only way to really describe. Great A class A cunt. Oof. He is a horrific human being. And if you are a British listener, then you will hundred percent recognize this case. I think. Even if you haven't looked into the case, you recognise the pictures that go with the case. It's one of those. Like, 
people, there's a lot of people who don't know the ins and outs of the Madeline McCann case, but they know the picture of Madeline. It's it's like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I mean, yeah, that's still getting updates. But you could not follow the updates that are happening. No, and the photo itself is as iconic as other photos that are not even in the realm of uh, serial killers. Yeah, exactly. So today we're going to be talking about Ian Huntley because clearly the name Ian just has to carry on getting slandered. Um, yeah, he has no relation to the place called Huntley, which is up near me. I'll no. reference that now before anyone figures that out. But no, he's a grade A cunt, 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 and a, a, a dumb cunt. He's a dumb he's cunt, a yeah. He's, 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 definitely, he's a dumb cunt, and he's a fucking horrific human being. Um, not saying idiot in, in, like, just like, oh, he's an idiot when he's not. He genuinely is an idiot. He's a fucking moron. Um, uh, yeah, we'll go into that. So, we're going to be talking about Ian Huntley. Uh, be- this case is better off known as the Soham Murders. Uh, that's where you might recognise his name slightly. You might recognise this case a bit more if we tell you that this is about the Soham Murders, which is uh, the murders of Holly and Jessica. Um, yeah, this is what this is what's well Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman basically. Uh, if you don't, if you're still not familiar. The best way I can kind of get you to recognize this case is the very infamous picture of the two young girls in the early 2000s wearing the Man United shirts. Oh yeah, Man United shirts. Yep. Yeah. Um. That is the best way a lot of people remember this case. And yeah, we're going to be going into this. We're going to start off with the day that the girls went missing. And then we'll go into Ian and then so on. Uh, Because now the thing is with this case as well is that no one really 100% knows what actually happened. Like properly. Because he hasn't told anyone. I, I do know, I will say, I do know of this case. And yeah. I know quite a lot of the details of this one compared to, say, other ones. So, yeah. Uh, I'm not completely clueless. But yeah, um, I, I do know that, that we don't know 100% for sure. I mean, there's theories, but, you know, this man's probably not never going to tell. No. That's how much of a grade A cunt he is. He's going to die and have it forever kept a secret. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no one knows what happened, yeah. Um, but we will go into the th- one of the one of the theories. Um, the reasoning he slightly gave to police, which isn't confirmed because the police don't even think it happened like the way he said it did. Because he makes it out to obviously be an accident, whereas that obviously was not the case. Because he is, as we'll go into it, a fucking cunt. <laughs> So, the Soham murders were a double child murder committed in Soham, Cambridgeshire, in the UK, on the 4th of August 2002. The victims were two 10-year-old girls, Holly Marie Wells and Jessica Amy Chapman. So, Holly was born on the 4th of October 1991, and Jessica was born on the 1st of September 1991 in Soham. At 11.45am on Sunday the 4th of August 2002, Jessica Chapman left her home in Brook Street to attend a barbecue at the home of her best friend Holly in nearby Red House Gardens. 
Before leaving home, Jessica told her parents where she was going and that she was going there to give her friend a necklace that that she had engraved with the letter H that she'd gotten for her on a recent family holiday. So the two girls and another friend named Natalie Parr played computer games and listened to music for about half an hour and a vast majority of the day, actually. Natalie then went home at 3.15pm. Both of the girls had changed into their Man United, their Rev Club Man United football shirts. Um, one of the shirts actually belonged to Holly, the other one actually belonged to her older brother Oliver, but she gave it to Jessica to wear on that day. At 5.04pm, a photograph of the two friends was taken by Holly's mother before the children ate dinner at one of the other ho- with one of the other house guests, which is the infamous picture that we now know. I think as well it's quite infamous on the fact that um, they both... I, I guess it's infamous on the fact of the Man United shirt and the fact of the era, because it's got the Vodafone logo and everything on it. Yes. And I think, I think it brings the case a bit more because... It's weird. You never think about it, though, but what someone wears in, like, a photo or, like, attire can be what someone associates them with more. And, like, they just so happen to wear something probably the most iconic thing you could probably wear for Manchester is a shirt of one of the two football teams. And uh, the fact that they're both wearing them gives it more of, like, uh, awareness for folk. Because if, you know, like people can wear, like, standard clothes, and I think if they were, people wouldn't know them as much. But two no. people wearing as an iconic football shirt, really catches the eye. And they're bright red, which is why, you know, from what I've uh, seen of images, it catches your eye everywhere. Two people in, two girls in bright red football t-shirts and girls in football t-shirts because you know what people are like. It's usually uh, men that tend to wear a lot of football shirts out with. I mean, yeah. And also this, like, yeah, it was the Vodafone uh, sponsorship at the time. Uh, the Man United at this point had just... Uh, they were no longer working with Sharp, uh, which was their iconic one before Vodafone. So this was a brand new kit. And it even more importantly had David Beckham and his number on the back. Because the girls actually were really big Man United fans. Uh, this wasn't just a thing that, the, that Holly's brother was into. Uh, both girls massively supported Manchester United. And their favourite player was David Beckham, which is why they had the shirts and why they were wearing them. Uh, But yeah, this is when the picture was taken. Uh, The girls then returned to playing in Holly's bedroom uh, around 10 past 6. Now, around 6.15pm, the two girls left Holly's house without telling anyone there. This is the early 2000s. They're only going down the road. It's a very good neighbourhood. This wasn't a time when... This This was one of those times where your parents would just go come back when the light when the street lights come on it was one of those times it's not really that as... infamous phrase yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's not as much like that now and plus everyone has phones now kids have phones on them now the girls did have a phone on them they had holly's phone um it would have just been a very little brick phone and yeah uh but they did have holly's phone on them at the time now they left the house to go and get some sweets from a vending machine at the local sports center which was literally down the road while returning to four red house gardens holly and jessica walked past the college close which was home of ian huntley who was the senior caretaker at the local secondary school 
Hunley evidently lured the girls into his house, stating that his girlfriend Maxine Carr, the girls' teaching assistant at St Andrews Primary School, was also in the house, and she was in fact when, when in fact she wasn't there at all. She was actually in Grimsby at the time, so Maxine wasn't even in the town. But he told the girls that basically Maxine was a bit upset because she hadn't gotten the full-time teaching job that she had originally wanted and the girls said something along the lines of oh really sorry tell her that um tell her that we're really sorry and we hope that she cheers up soon and apparently Ian said something along the lines of oh she's inside why don't you come say hi that'll really cheer her up and that's how the girls went into the house now so obviously what happened in the house is unknown. Investigators believe sections of Huntley's later claims and initial interviews granted to the media prior to his arrest and later in his testimony are all like it's all skewed basically. Uh, so he said that when he when the girls passed his house he was cleaning his dog at the time and this was around 6 30 p.m and that one of the girls had been suffering from a nosebleed he said that well, he said that yeah, one of the girls may have been suffering from a nosebleed, and this this might be true because that's not all. It's just it's a nosebleed. It's a weird thing to lie about, but it's also an easy thing to lie about at the same time. Uh, in any event, the the cause of death for both girls was later ruled to be exfixation, and just so it's Jessica's phone. Sorry, uh, Jessica's Nokia. Uh, Jesus Christ, this is very old phone. Jessica's Nokia 6110, 6110, oh, sorry, yeah, 6110 mobile phone was switched off at 6.46pm. So this would have been roughly minutes after the girls had died. Around 8pm, Nicola Wells entered her daughter's bedroom to, to invite the girls to say goodbye to her house guests, only to find that the girls were missing. Her and her husband, Kevin, searched the house in nearby streets and minutes after their daughter's 8.30pm curfew had been met, she phoned the Chapman house to ask if the girls were there, only to learn that Leslie and Sharon Chapman were worried that their youngest daughter had not returned home. Following frantic efforts by the families of both girls to locate their daughters, Holly and Jessica were reported missing by their parents at 9.55pm. Now, police immediately launched an intensive search for the missing children. Over 400 police officers were assigned full-time to search for them. These officers con conducted extensive house-to-house -house inquiries across Soham. Their efforts to search local Terran were supported by hundreds of local volunteers and later some United States Air Force personnel stationed at nearby air bases. Like, this was a big search. This was like a manhunt at this point. To help their public appeals for information, Cambridgeshire Police re released the photograph Nicola Wells had taken of the children less than two hours before their disappearance. Both saying that the girls were wearing their Man United Redcliffe football shirts, so if they were just... If they had just ran away, or if they were just late back home, they would be very, very easy to spot. 
A physical description of each of each girl was also released to the media, describing them as being white, about four foot, about four foot and six inches tall and slim. Jessica was described as being tanned with, so, with shoulder length brown hair. Holly was described as being fair with blonde hair. Parents of both girls stated that their daughters had been wary of talking with strangers, having been warned not to trust people that they didn't know from an early age. This was supported by the head teacher of St Andrews Primary School, who told reporters, The possible danger from strangers is something we have impressed upon from an early age. So, straight away, police are either thinking the girls have either ran away, or if they have been taken by someone, it's someone that they must have known. So, suspecting that the girls had been kidnapped, investigators questioned every registered sex offender in Cambridgeshire and neighbouring Lincolnshire. Over 260 registered sex offenders across the UK, including 15 high-risk paedophiles, were also questioned. All were eliminated from the investigation, though. Police also investigated the possibility that the girls had arranged to meet someone they had contacted via an internet chat room, but this was soon ruled out. Because this was, like, early days of, like, internet chat rooms. Like, I don't know about anyone else, but I wasn't on internet chat rooms when I was 10. Mostly because my parents were just like, nah. No, I mean, I wasn't, but when, I think, in a, in a case like this, of like, um, you know, when it's the early stages of technology, is the case of this, uh, for like computers and the online aspect, it's all so new that like nowadays something could pop up. Like someone could make an app and people would not really know what the app is about, but they could still use it. They could still get around with it in a couple seconds. It's not that hard. True. But in the early days of like when it's chat rooms, people don't know how to use that stuff. It's not like they've had experience doing anything like that. Whereas now if someone made a chat room thing, well, that's common knowledge for most people use technology how to use it. So, yeah, it's it, it, you know, people back then, especially with her having the phone, you know, you can have a phone, but you, would you have really, really used it? Like even when I had my first phone, I used it, but even when I was out and about, it wasn't the main focus of anything. It was just there, and yeah. maybe the off chance I used it because I wasn't that dependent on it. Like, um, obviously, like you said, that they went away. And they had a phone on them, but you know the mum says come back at this time. You just know, okay, that's when I have to come back. And then there's no like texting you, oh, come back now, or I've gone away. Like in cases for me, it would have been like, right, you've got five more minutes out. Okay, I'm out for five more minutes. I suspect it's five more minutes. Oh, my mum wasn't saying anything. I'll wait till she actually comes to me in the street, or I come back late and I get in trouble. There's no middle ground of I check my phone and think, oh, let me text my mum. Yeah, you know, yeah, they'd have to text me or phone me, which is why in this case, I don't think they had any intention of phoning their mom to be like, "This is where we've gone." It's just like you know, we've left, um, or we've left, or we'll be back. It won't be that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, the parents didn't know that they had left. That's the main key thing. Like they didn't know. Yeah, but when but you're yeah. like a kid, you think I'll just go out. I'll come back. It's yeah. not a case of they need to know where I am. But and nowadays, it's... people are always asking, where are you? But like back then, there's not much of like a, I've gone out. They don't need to know where I've gone. They don't need to tell them. I'll come back. And I'm like, oh, I just went down to there. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's like 
middle of summer as well at this point as well. So it's like yeah, kids going bright out. daylight. Which yeah. is yeah, which is normally it's like oh, this is more dangerous at night. But this is like six o'clock and it's in the middle of August, and it's going to somewhere that's near them. Yeah, it's yeah. not like like some kids now who are maybe like ten and are traveling into town on a train. Yeah, but we have phones, so there's the plus out of that. But you know, they're not traveling so so far away. They're traveling within a decent vicinity because you always had that. When you're a kid, your mom would tell you, you can only go this far, no further than that. And I'm like, okay, and I could only go to this far and no further. And I wouldn't go further than that because I know I'd get in trouble. Yeah. On the 8th of August, CCTV footage of the girls recorded minutes before their disappearance was released to the public. This footage uh, showed them arriving at the local sports centre around 6.28pm. A televised reconstruction of the children's last known movements was broadcast nationally on the 10th of August, and both sets of parents granted an interview with presenter Colin Baker and ITV's current affairs programme, which was broadcast on the 12th of August. Other family members... Sorry, one sec, why is my screen? The one is just turned off. One sec. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's fine. We're good. (laughs) So other family members and friends of both girls also appealed via the media for the safe return of the children. Uh, These appeals for information on the whereabouts of Holly and Jessica produced over 2,000 phone calls and tips from the public, with all information obtained entered into the Investigations Homes 2 database. The community held a candlelight vigil on the 7th of August as well. Shortly after the children's disappearance, Staffordshire Police contacted the investigating officers to report their suspicions the girl could have been abducted by the same man responsible for an abduction in their jurisdiction the previous year, in which a six-year-old girl had survived an indecent assault by an abductor who was still at large and whose green Ford Mondeo had number plates which had earlier been stolen in Peterborough. The person responsible for this abduction and assault was also believed to have followed a 12-year-old girl in the same area, although in this instance his car had been fitted with the number plate with number plates which had been stolen in Nottinghamshire. So there's a lot of dodgy people clearly around this fucking time in these areas, which is really unnerving. Uh, the same vehicle had recently been sighted in Glan- in Glayton, uh, Cambridgeshire. This information was later included in a televised appeal about the children's disappearance on the BBC's Crime Watch, but this potential lead failed to bear fruit. Uh, several members of the public reported having seen the girls in the early days of the investigation. Mark Tuck informed investigators that he had driven past the girls on Sand Street in Soham Town Centre at around 6.30pm. So one thing to also say about this is the police also told the public to not wear United shirts. Because... What? I didn't know that. Yeah, so they they made a public statement asking people to not wear Manchester United shirts because it was leading to a lot of false sightings. Um, I mean... So... That's tough. Like... It's really hard, yeah. If anyone isn't from the UK, trying to tell someone, don't wear a football shirt of the team you support, that's not easy. Especially in, like, Manchester. Yeah. Because 
that's because I mean, for my eyes, that's quite well, quite dangerous as well. The fact that you know, Man United fans can't wear shirts, but City fans can wear them, and uh, I bet you that might have upset a couple folks. I mean, because... I'm gonna be honest. If there's anyone out there that around this time could was moaning about the fact that they can't wear a fucking Man United shirt because. You know what folk are like. Though. I know, but like I'm gonna say it straight away. If you if you were moaning about that, you're such a pathetic pile of shit that you need to just get a life and learn to wear something different for the time being when two girls are literally missing. Like yeah, they were last seen it, wearing it, these shirts. Just shut the fuck up, put something else on, get a life, wear something else, stop being a little bitch and just do as you're fucking told. You've got other shirts in your fucking wardrobe that are probably way cheaper than your overpriced fucking football shirt. Calm your fucking tits. I think it's just quite a novel thing to, for a period of time people couldn't wear like what's, I guess, normal attire in some cases and that I guess it was effectively almost banned. You know, imagine that if like for a period of time you couldn't wear that because it was more or less... um. Well, kind of a threat in a way wearing that because at the time they might not know but they might have thought that maybe they were just targeting folk who wore Man United shirts but as well you know wearing something that you usually wear which wear in doing that would cause more um, you know hiccups within the case yeah because cause, like, if they saw if someone spotted a like blonde girl wearing a United shirt from like behind they're just immediately obviously going to go to the assumption oh shit is that that missing girl and then the police have to go over to that area go to this girl it creates way more hassle and it's I mean it yeah. does considering the fact that not like it's not a case of just like oh only a couple people wear Man United shirts millions of folk wear Man United shirts oh, yeah, and, that's, yeah. and that's the thing with this case they wore such an iconic thing to wear but also millions of other people wear it Whereas in other cases where people are like, right, they wore this, and it's a pretty distinctive thing they wore, like a top that's not as commonly worn. So then it's like, okay, we're looking out for that. In this case, it's like we're looking out for something that was also worn by thousands upon thousands of other people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Needle in a haystack. Yeah, I'm just saying if you were moaning about it, you little bitch. Uh... You support a crap team anyway. Yeah, they're not doing great, and it's really, it's really, it's hard for me. They're right gonna now. come for me, the Man United fans. I mean, ah. I, I'm a Man United fan, and it does fucking stink. Um, but I, uh, whatever. Uh, so on that day that the girls went missing, um, Mark Tuck was obviously driving near Saturn Street in Stone Town, in Stone Town Centre, and he saw the Man United shirts and possibly the girls. And looked at his, and he caused him to look at his wife and went, "Oh look, there's two little Beckhams over there." And another young woman called Karen Greenwood also reported seeing the girls walking arm in arm along College Road about two minutes later, which actually would make sense because that is around the time that they were on College Road. So technically, other than Ian Huntley, Karen Greenwood would have been the last person to have ever seen the girls. One person who claimed to have spoken with the girls immediately before their disappearance was 28-year-old Ian Huntley, who informed investigators on the 5th of August he had a brief conversation with both girls on his doorstep from the previous afternoon. According to Huntley, Holly and Jessica, both happy as Larry, had briefly inquired to whether his partner Maxine Carr 
had been successful in a recent application for a full-time teaching assistant job at their school, because she was only a temporary at this point. When he replied Maxine had not got the job, one of the girls had said, tell her we're sorry before they both walked along College Street towards a bridge leading towards Clay Street. That's what Ian Huntley says. Obviously, that end part is not true about them walking away. Police were suspicious of Huntley uh, very quickly. A single police officer searched his house on the 5th of August. No incriminating evidence was discovered, but the officer noticed numerous items of clothing on the washing line, despite the fact that it had been raining. In reference to the... I mean, I mean if, you've, if you've ever, like... Apparently, it's a very British thing to hang your washing up outside, a very European thing, at least. Uh, apparently, in America, it's just not a thing uh, for some people. Um, so, if anyone's ever had the mum hang up washing on the washing line and as soon as it starts raining they fucking scream at you to get the washing in get um, that washing in now get oh, the well. fucking washing in is a fucking spit out there get the line in get the nah I mean a lot of times now if if it's like towels and stuff it's like oh fuck it it's been it's been pouring 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 doing it it's been spitting down with the rain ah <coughs> oh, fuck it but a lot of times it's are like get that in it needs to be done oh fuck or if you're not home and your mum's like oh it's meant to be really nice weather today I'll just leave the washing out while we go out for a bit and then it starts like spitting and she's like fucking washing's out <laughs> it's meant to be a very nice day ah Britain yeah <laughs> so yeah I understand the officer's suspicion with that one so in reference to the evident extensive cleaning of the house's interior Huntley stated Excuse the dining room, we had a flood. This officer, unconvinced by Huntley's claims and suspicions of his agitated demeanour, Huntley remained a strong suspect. Good. The officer knows what he's doing. Now, on the 6th of August, Huntley drove from Soham to Grimsby to pick up Maxine. (coughs) Sorry, I'm still gaming at the cough that I told you about last week. Now, after he picked up Maxine, they were both, the two of them returned back to college close. A neighbour to Maxine and Ian's, named Marin Clift, saw the couple standing at the rear of the vehicle with the boot open. According to Marin, a pale, shaking Huntley gazed into the boot for several moments, while Maxine stood alongside him, her head bowed, weeping. When Huntley became aware of Marin's presence, he abruptly closed the boot. <coughs> Sorry, Ian, but you're not looking very innocent with that one. And so now we're going to get into Ian. Right, I need to get rid of this cough, fuck's sake. <coughs> you know, it's like right at the back of your throat, it's like this one tiny little bit. Just want <coughs> fuck off. Yeah, on the tip of your tongue and the back of your lungs, yes. I got a secret. I know something you don't know. Oh, it's well, ironically fitting with this case. Weirdly, yeah. He <laughs> knows exactly what's happened. We ain't gonna tell. Great A. For anyone who wants to know, that's a Brimuth. That's um, Chelsea Smile by Brimuth Horizon. <laughs> so Ian Kevin Huntley was born on the 31st of January 1974 in Grimsby, England. He is the first son of Kevin and Linda Huntley, who had him when they were just teenagers and were married around the same time. So, probably a shotgun wedding because they were still, like, kids at the time. 
Um, but apparently they were happy together, which is fair play. And um, they, there was literally no abuse in the household. There was no negativity in the house. Everything was fine. Um, the only like blip I'd probably say, which isn't really a blip, is that he has a he had a he has a younger brother, and uh, apparently the younger brother was the parents' favorite. But um, anyone with siblings, Matt, you won't get this. Anyone with siblings, you know that your parents have a favorite because they don't exactly hide it. Like they really, they really don't. And if you if you got like if you're the middle child, then God bless you. You deserve compensation. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've asked folk, and they always say, but unless yeah. I, the parents, I think parents, from what I assume, parents never tell. They never tell, but it's obvious. They know. Okay, it's very I mean, obvious. Like my parents will always, forever deny that they've got a favorite. I've asked them so many times, and they say no. They, I think it's. I think. I think. Uh, sometimes the parents have like a joint favorite, but. Sometimes, like, the mum has a favourite and then the dad's a favourite. I think I'm my dad's favourite. I think I'm my dad's favourite, but yeah. I feel like my brother is my mum's. I It's typical that way. The father prefers the daughter. But people would... have favourites of everything. When you If you ask someone what is your favourite of everything, they wouldn't give you an answer for everything. So no. some stuff, you know it's your favourite, but you just don't want to say just so keep it hidden from folks, so... Yeah, I'm just going to agree with that because um, as the child that was not the favourite, I can uh, very much politely say, you have a favourite, don't make it obvious. It's not fun for the one that oh, is what? Did, did your brother get more food on the plate? Um, It wasn't necessarily... I don't know, I don't know, how, you, I don't know how you show. It, uh, so basically, it wasn't necessarily that. It was more, if I did something, I could get my, <coughs> I could get a massive bollocking for it. He could do the exact same thing. Nothing would happen. What? <coughs> so you'd get the scalped dog, and he wouldn't. He? <coughs> oh, fucking Basically, hell. yeah. But um... well, the thing is, when you're an only <coughs> child, you're the only one. So you always get a scalped dog, no matter what. No, like when I was when I was an only child, um, I was the. To be fair, I was the spoiled one because like my parents had me when they were in like like their mid twenties. So, um, so I was the spoiled one for probably about I was just the only child for about six years or so. Um, but I think my key, sorry parents, me and my parents have a very good relationship now. I just want to clarify, we have probably the best relationship that we've had in my entire life right now. And it's fucking great. We're closer than ever. But I remember a very specific time, my brother had a huge temper tantrum over the fact that my dad had bought himself a PS4, because this is when the PS4 just came out. And my brother hadn't got one, because... My dad bought it with his own money. And he kicked off about it because he wanted his own. He wanted it in his room and all this kind of shit. And he literally had the biggest... T- I've had tantrums and shit like that growing up. Everyone fucking has. But oh my god, did he take the fucking cake with this one. And great, he was like he was like 10, something like that. Like, 10-year-olds have tantrums. Whatever. This fuck... This, this, this bitch... I had a temper tantrum. The next fucking day, bear in mind at this point, I just got in like the best grades I've ever fucking gotten at this point as well. So it actually must have been about 12 because I just got in my final grades in college and they were freaking A stars, top fucking grades, bitch did the best. And my parents, and 
didn't say anything to me. They went out the next day and bought this fucker a PS4 with extra games with it. And I'm just sat there going, the fuck? <laughs> Wait, so this guy couldn't control his temper temper. I mean, he must be a bullet fan. But regardless, he still gets a PS4 out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, I, from what I assume is that when someone younger comes along, the uh, the uh, attention goes to them mm. and the other person's like, well, you're a bit older now. But take it this way that when you are an only child, I mean, you're only child for six years, but you, you don't have someone else to, you know, be there on your side sort of thing, help you with problems. I mean, you know, I share mean stuff with. me and my brother are like six years apart. So growing up, we fucking hated each other. It was like, we just... Cause, ah, cause, but you secretly love, you secretly always love them. I know that. It's like we hated each other because we were on that like age gap where when he started getting into like playing with toys and stuff like that, I'd grown out of it and I was now in high school and it was like, He'd be like, oh, can you play with me? And I'd be like, no. Uh, it's like I was, I was getting to that, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in high school now. Like that kind of cuntiness that you are in the first few years of high school, and that age gap kind of like fucked it. And then we got a bit older. He got into high school. I was in college, and that's when we started to get along a bit better. Like I remember my, my one of my exes. He's the fucking worst human being on the planet. One day I'll end up doing a bloody true crime. That was worse as Ian. No, I'll end up doing a true crime episode of one of my exes one day. I can fucking see it. Um, it's another story. Uh, but uh, I remember like explaining everything what happened in that relationship to my parents. My brother was there. My brother just basically went upstairs, got his baseball bat that he weirdly fucking had because he went through weird phases in the summer. And um, basically came down with him and went, she'll swing it over his head. And I was like, bitch, you're 12. <laughs> I mean, you're doing jack I, you, shit. <laughs> you could have still when he said when he said to you, Luke, um, can you come play with me? You could have played with him. You could have gone to him, right? I'll play with you. And today we will listen to Bring Me the Horizon's first album. That's our form of playing. Or we will listen to this specific CD. I was CD. twelve years this old. Is playing. I was I was twelve years old. I was not in. I was not um, into that music yet. Oh, so this is the period of yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna enjoy this, and I'm gonna force you to enjoy it, and I feel his uh, sorrow. Let's listen to Justin Bieber for two hours oh, straight. Jesus. Actually, he had worse music taste at this point. Sorry if I'm going off on a tangent, but my brother had worse music taste than me. Um, he was at this point in his Jedwood phase. And I'm not what I mean, joking. you look like a pop star. You sound like a pop star. Jedward. No, like, the little shit had the albums and was blasting it through the fucking house. And when we're in the car, we have to listen to Jedward. So I had my earphones in, like, so fucking Oh, uh, I bet you had a poster of Jedward on your wall I and you were like, I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to die. It was just like, <laughs> oh, God, it was constant. No, but Where's they now? have blonde spiky hair. I like the mop top Bieber haircut. Whereas now, me and my brother, like, I messaged him a few weeks back. Just basically, I went through a bad breakdown, basically. And I messaged my most of my family just going, yo hate me do you because like, i go into a state of anxiety where i think everyone in my life fucking hates me uh so i messaged my family my brother included which i never do um and uh he replied back going why the fuck would i hate you and i went well we never got our longest kids and he went well yeah that's when we were kids but all right, you're all you're fine now you're all right now i was like oh great sound so we get along great now, but no, like parents always have a favorite, and if they say they don't, they're fucking lying. 
uh, that's the moral of that story. So I guess so. I'll take your word for. It. I don't know, but yeah. we'll go with that. So by the time that Ian started secondary school in September 1985, he was bullied a lot, like a lot. But I'm not gonna. Sometimes like, I was bullied in school, but sometimes when I look back at it, I was like, yeah, I can see why. And, yeah, um, I can see why. Yeah, huh. yeah no, I know why. Nah, I mean, I I, I bully, want to laugh bully, at him. Bullying's not cool. Bullying's not cool, but I understand it weirdly. Uh, so basically, well, I understand it from the aspect of someone. The bully is someone who would been bullied, so then they yeah. bully, yeah. sort of thing. I want to laugh at him for being bullied because he's a cunt, but also I do not condone bullying because I was no. bullied myself, and it Same. can have massive effects on mental health. But regardless, he was bullied. I'm still, I still, I found out I got PTSD from the bullying I, I went through. It's fucking sick. What? I oh, thought, no. I thought my PTSD was to do with my ex. I went through to a th- I went through therapy for like eighteen weeks. During those eighteen we- weeks, I was like, they're like, she was like, my therapist was like, yeah. So your PTSD is obviously linked to your ex boyfriend. I'm like, yeah, I figured that one out. And then she went, but it's also linked way back to when you're about eleven years old. And by the by the scenes of things, based on what you told me in like in year year references, and I was like, oh, she went. Basically, your bullying really has affected you as you as an adult now. And I was like. Oh, nice! So yeah, my ah. PTSD is connected with my the bullying I went through. In I don't school. even know if I've ever had PTSD. It's or fucking whatnot. shit! It's so. I feel like I give people PTSD. I'm not fucking annoying. I give people PTSD probably. They like, could do like a test, and now and now it's a hell of eighty. Um, you, you, on the scales, basically, you just you do this test. And uh, they don't tell you that you. They kind of tell you you're doing a test, but they kind of don't at the same time because they have to legally tell you that they're doing one. But at the same time, they don't want you to kind of like purposely skew answers. I'd like to know if someone's sticking a finger up my bum or not. But so basically, it's just like a, a test where they ask you a bunch of questions and shit like that, and ba- based on like your experiences and everything, and how you are now. And um, I scored sixty out of eighty on a PTSD test. Oh, so they're basic questions. They're not gonna ask me. No. Like. No. Oh, they're not going to ask me. Sing all the words to All Star by Smash Mouth. If you get one word wrong, you've got PTSD. Ah! I feel like if you know all the lyrics to All Star by Smash Mouth, that means you have PTSD. Or an edgy meme lord like me. Yeah. But PT- I, I never knew that, but it, I can't imagine what it's like living with PTSD. Shit. Uh, best way to put it. Uh, I, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it sucks, but I deal with it. You, can, you power through it. I power through. It's... Yeah, so yeah, he was the target of bullying, which only increased his uh, founding an active promotion. Oh god! Right, basically, his bullying only increased his interest more with um, his little hobby that he had at the time, which was running and owning the Grimsby and Ingram chapter of the Bros Fan Club. Well, he had a Bros fan club. He was a founder of it. My, my, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm not gonna Any... lie. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm like. I'm the fan club thing. I've always fan, fan clubs. I've always found kind of weird. But Bros, um, I do have a Bros song saved on my phone. My mum's the biggest Bros fan on the planet. Like, uh, I don't actually hate. I don't hate Bros. I think they're all right. It's kind of the catchy. I Bros is like a very culturally. British thing. They're you know. a duo of two. For people who don't know, Bros are a, are a duo. Uh, two brothers. Can't tell by the title, Bros. 
and they were a pop group in the 1980s and um yeah that, that's basically the best hey, way to put it Luke, people idolizing or having fan clubs or people like that back in the day that's fine if i mean nowadays with the whole justin bieber the whole one direction all that oh, it's way worse mm. my mom's got like all their fucking vinyls at home i like, mean he probably wasn't the only one he probably set it up with the fact of Hey, is there any other Ross fans? Probably, yeah. You know, like in this day and age, it's like, does anybody else like this band? Shut the fuck up, your band is shit. Yeah. This band, this music's much better. That's what today's like, so. I wonder, did you get anyone in the fan club? Was it just him? It was just him. Oh, no, that's quite sad. Oh. So at the age of 13, the problem had escalated to such an extent that he actually transferred to a different school because of all the bullying. He left school in the summer of 1990 with five um, A to C grades in his GCSEs, but decided to go into employment rather than study for A-levels. Fair play. Do what you want to do. Throughout the 1990s, Huntley worked at various unskilled low-salary jobs. I mean, most people did the first job. He he was also investigated by the police on at least 10 occasions for... Rape, underage sex, indecent assault, and burglary. Uh, one rape and one burglary resulted in criminal charges, but in both cases, the charges were dropped. <coughs> Sorry. Fucking Jesus. In both cases, the charge. <coughs> Fucking hell. Both cases, the charges were dropped by the Crown Prosecution Service because it was decided that there was not enough evidence. In October 1993, he was convicted of riding an unlicensed and an uninsured motorcycle and received a £250 fine. His parents, Kevin and Linda, separated in the early early 90s and Linda actually ended up having a relationship with another woman, which made people in the area take the piss out of him. They often called him gay because apparently if your parent, if you bump with one of your parents are gay, you you got to be apparently because you know. Well, that's far from the fucking truth. Well, yeah, exactly. So people, if you're an idiot who believes that you can get some weird effect that if this was, is this, there was can... two brothers in my school, and his mum, uh, his mum's gay, and I remember them getting. Lesbian, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember uh, them getting that all the time by people in school. Like they always got oh, taught. Yeah, I, can, I, I remember just that happening. What the would say, oh. but obviously it's not true because that's not <coughs> how the world works. No. But also, some people do. <laughs> it's literally just life, dude. Like, can't choose. People have their own choices. I just have my parents. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say people have their own choices because it's not a choice, but. Yeah. Oh, well, I meant it said, like, now you choose to do stuff. Like, I, the stuff I do wasn't because my dad did Oh, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what <laughs> exactly. I'm meaning. Yeah, so, yeah. in senses like that, like, you know, I don't just... We're not all clone copies of everyone else. You know, you there's always stuff you do in the family where you're like, oh, they're that... You know, I mean, I'm going to reference it, but it's like, you know the tweet where it's like, um, everyone has an emo cousin, and oh, if you yeah. don't have one, you're yeah, the emo, emo cousin. cousin yeah. It's because, you know, there's always, like, someone who does something in the family that's different, you know? There's always like the more musical ones, the more technical ones, this, that, yeah. etc. Et so many people in the area noticed Ian's weird behaviour around underage girls quite quickly. 
He was spotted buying drinks in local pubs for 15-year-old girls, like, a lot. There was even a time where he was going back and forth between his mum's flat and his dad's, where he started getting into serious serious sexual relationships with 15-year-old girls. Like, he'd bring the girls back when the parents are there. Just want to tell you, just want to elaborate. The girls would be manipulated by Huntley so bad that they would leave their parents' house to live with Huntley in either his apartment or his father's. <coughs> and Ian would just, like, lie about the rage and shit. And Ian would come up with stories about the girls' home life and saying that it was so hor- that, that the home life must be so horrifically bad that, that they have to come and live with him. Now, these girls are 15. The schools and social services were aware of this. They knew everything about this. They knew about Ian. They knew about his creepy behaviour. They knew about his relationships with 15-year-old girls, even though he was literally 19 to 21 at this point. He would even go to the schools whenever the girls wouldn't go in, saying that they were staying with him with the permission of the girls' parents, when in fact the parents for most of the girls wouldn't be impressed that their daughters were having an openly sexual relationship with a man who was literally 19 to 21. And one of the girls actually reportedly fell pregnant with his baby, but later miscarried. Ooh. Yeah. Now, Ian actually got married when he was 21 years old uh, to a woman named Claire Evans, but the relationship was abusive from the beginning. Like, they got married very quickly into their relationship, and Ian would be insanely controlling and physically abusive. And one time, Ian beat her so badly, she actually suffered a miscarriage. Now, the one person that would protect her during all this was his younger brother, Wayne. So the favourite sibling would basically stop Ian from being violent towards Claire and would protect Claire and make sure she was okay. And eventually Claire ended up leaving Ian and actually ended her and Wayne ended up kind of falling for each other, I guess. And when she left Ian, Ian refused to divorce Claire for about five years. So for five years, he just was like literally refusing to divorce her, even though she was requesting the divorce. When they eventually got divorced, Wayne married Claire in July 2000. And apparently they're still together. So good on them. But yeah, so Ian didn't want to divorce Claire because he didn't like the idea of the power and control going from that. Because he had that power when they were married, he had the, he was abusing her, he could control her. And losing that control is something that he just hated. And he hated it even more that he was losing the control to his younger brother. So in February 1999, 25-year-old Ian Huntley met 22-year-old Maxine Carr at Hollywood's nightclub in Grimsby. Um, They shared a flat together in Barton-upon-Humber and Maxine found a job packing fish at a local fish processing family while Huntley worked as a barman. He also travelled to Cambridgeshire in his days off to help his father who worked as a school caretaker in the village of Littleport near Ely. Now, he he loved it. He loved the job as a caretaker. He was like, this is my dream job. This is what I want to do. 
So in September 2001, he applied for the position of caretaker at Sowen Village College, a secondary school in a small town between Cambridge and Ely after the previous caretaker was sacked for having an inappropriate relationship with a pupil. Who the fuck's shagging a caretaker? I mean, what, I guess student? they know what all student? the parts to hide in the school. Why? It's always, there's always a fucking teacher having always some contact one. with the people. Why? But, uh, people, fuck me. I swear people just Was the one genuinely. What? A dodgy teacher. Uh. There's one I in mean, mine. English teacher. I mean. We had a case of Mr. Erskine, was it? I think so. He was maybe a bit dodgy, caught looking up girls' skirts. I mean, we had yeah. um, Mr. Stewart. I think Mr. Mr. Stewart wasn't well. He wasn't dodgy. It's the fact that he apparently he got fired because he showed people hanging themselves in RBS. But no one. I mean, there's a case of we had. There was a head teacher actually. It's a bit weird. It's not the case of this, but there was a head teacher that used to be at our school who got in trouble because at his previous academy, Mearns Academy, he basically on the graduation ceremony for some reason decided to give the people who were graduating the school like funny porn star names like a joke uh... and he was giving like disabled people like very uh, offensive and stupid porn star names as like a joke and it's like why yeah like um m- and exactly like muff muncher or something like that oh or God. like to to like people and it's like why and he got he went to our school for a bit and then he went away but no i don't think there's anything in the case of like having intercourse or sex now that i know but why did there's always seems that at every school there's always one teacher who just signs up to go signs up to work at a school just so they can have it off of the people yeah i see it all the time in like american articles of just like a uh, teacher caught having sex with student it's like oh come on no but yeah so when ian applied for this job he actually gave but it's original first name which is ian but he slightly changed his last name, I believe, because of the previous charges and investigations for paedophilia, rape, statutory rape, all that kind of stuff in the previous town that he'd lived in. So the reason why he actually moved down here, down to down here, down to Cambridgeshire, is actually because of the reputation that he had in the previous town that he lived in. Uh, that he was basically just running away from all of the accusations that surrounded him, really. So he was accepted for the post of caretaker at Sowen Village College and he started working there on the 26th of November 2001. So now we're going back to August 2002. Now, this is what a Apparently, like, what happened. On the 4th of August 2002, around 6pm, the two 10-year-old girls, Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, walked past Huntley's rented house in College Close. Because, obviously, College Close was... Because he's a caretaker, he's living there rent-free. Caretakers don't pay rent. And, yeah. So, Huntley asked them to come into the house. He said that Maxine was in the house as well. Since she was a learning support assistant at St. Andrew's Primary School, the girls were like, Sure. Obviously, she wasn't at the house and she was actually visiting family back in Grimsby. Now, this was actually confirmed because she was spotted on a night out in Grimsby. 
Shortly after Holly and Jessica entered Five College Close, Huntley had murdered them. The reason for him murdering them isn't known. But minutes before seeing the girls, Huntley had slammed the telephone down on Maxine after a furious argument as he was suspicious that she was cheating on him. I mean, obviously he's been abusive in his past relationships, so obviously he is also the exact same in this one. The police believe that Huntley killed the girls in a jealous rage. There may have also been a sexual motive. It seems likely that either of or possibly both of these motives drove Huntley to kill the girls. The police found no evidence of pre-planning and later said that they would have expected to find it if it was there. However the girls died, Huntley disposed of their bodies in a ditch 20 miles away and set them on fire in a bid to destroy the forensic evidence. The search for the girls was one of the most highly publicised missing person searches in British history. Manchester United footballer David Beckham even went on TV to do an appeal for the girls to return home safe, saying that if they had run away, that they are not in trouble and the parents just want them to come home safe. I mean, obviously, this is their favourite player, so if they were just missing or just had run away, then that would be the ideal way to probably try and get them back home. And also to let people know the severity of the situation. At about uh, 12.30pm on the the 17th of August, a 48-year-old gamekeeper named Keith Pryor discovered the bodies of both girls lying side by side in a five-foot-deep ditch close, close with a present pen near the perimeter fence of RAF Lake Heath in Suffolk, more than 10 miles east of Soham. Pryor had noticed that he lay what he later described as an unusual and unpleasant smell in the area several days earlier. When returning to the area with two friends on the 17th of August, he had decided to investigate the cause of this odour. Walking through an overgrown verge about 600 yards from the partially tarmacked road, Pryor and one of his companions, Adrian Lawrence, discovered the children's bodies. Immediately after he saw the bodies, he turned to his girlfriend, Helen Sawyer, and said, Don't come any closer, Helen. Get back in the van. Lawrence immediately reported the discovery to police. Both girls had been missing for 13 days when their bodies were found and their bodies were in, an, an, were in an advanced state of decomposition. In an apparent effort to destroy forensic evidence, the murderer or murderers had attempted to burn both bodies. No clear footprints were discovered at the crime scene. Despite this, investigators rapidly uh, deducted who the two victims most likely were and that they had not died at the same place that they were found. Numerous hairs later determined to belong to Jessica were discovered on a tree branch close to the location of the girls' bodies. The following day, Cambridgeshire Deputy Chief Constable Keith Hoder released a press statement to the media confirming the discovery of the children's bodies adding that both families have been involved of the developments and that although positive formal identification would take several days, investigators were as certain as possibly could be the bodies were those of Holly and Jessica. In the weeks following the disappearances, Huntley reluctantly granted several television interviews to media outlets such as Sky News and the regional BBC News programme BBC Look East. Speaking of the general shock in the local community and his dismay at being the last person to see the girls alive. This is where we say he's a fucking moron. Oh, yeah. This this is the infamous thing of how I know about this case. I think, apart from the fact of the image of them, I think this is the most talked about thing within it where people 
you know like how they grasp um like people like do youtube thumbnails and stuff this is the one where people would be like killer who um did a live interview on tv because most people who kill don't think right i'm gonna go on live daily yeah and say stuff they're hiding the way yeah you know and if they're on the telly it's because they've been caught after they've been interviewed you know where was you know where was all the other famous serial killers just giving tv interviews the fact that he did this was a very stupid thing yeah because in his mind he's thinking i'll go on the telly and i'll tell the british public uh you know make it seem as though it's not me when everyone's having thoughts it could be you and like the british public aren't fucking dumb i mean whoever watched at the time if you did let us know what you thought of his like interviews but looking back at now i'm like if i watched that live i'd be thinking you fucking idiot it's you it's fucking you i mean the reason why he's also dumb is because when I, when he spoke about the girls he spoke about them in past tense yep that's what made him an idiot because at that point when he was talking to them they'd only been missing a couple of days so no one else was talking about them in past tense. Everyone was just talking about them as now. They were not talking to about them by saying was and all this kind of stuff. Maxine and Ian both spoke in past tense. Which is Yeah, why that's I, not a good sign. And the no. fact that they're granting quite a fair amount of interviews to say a lot. Like in in obviously like a time of grief, him doing all this stuff is another sign of like Hang on, you're trying to get a lot of things out here. You know when, like, someone says, if someone, like, said, oh, it was you who did it, and then you're like, no, no, it wasn't me, and then you have this massive spiel of, like, why it really wasn't you keep going on and on. Yeah. Like, no, no, it's not, please, it's re- no, it's really, really not me, no, 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 no. It's like, mm, you're trying to say a lot of words here, and because he, he's, he's the type of person that looks like he's very nervous. Yeah. And, like... When you watch the interview, um, you can see it in him that he's like just trying to get words out to be like, I'll, I'll, I'll just say something. I'll say a bunch of stuff, do a bunch of the interviews, and you can see it in him. He's like, oh, fuck, I, I need to really watch what I'm saying and that he's not smart enough to think about what's the best thing to say or do to prevent him from. Because once you grant the interviews, then you're in a whole nother kettle of fish of like, fuck, I've got to dig my way out of that. Mm. It's so much easier for the serial killers who like, um, in some of the cases where someone in public says, hang on, you know, like cases where like the uh, serial killer will be seen with someone else and a member of the public goes, hey, what are you doing? And then in that moment, all they can say is, oh, this is a person I know or blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm just taking them somewhere. And the member of the public has no idea who that is and goes, okay, sure, I'll believe that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's just a tiny interaction. They don't need to think much. They don't need to have a convoluted plan. But the fact he goes on live telly broadcast through the entire British public he needs to give a fucking good, good TV interview for people to then think, no, it's not him. And that's not easy. Oh, oh God, no, it's not easy. Like, by, so by the second week of the girl's disappearance, Huntley had become an unofficial spokesman for the community of Soham. His explanation for this was that he wanted to, that he wanted to convey the media to the media the frustration and dis and dismay the community was feeling. In one interview with Sky, with, with Sky News correspondent Jeremy Thompson, during the second week of the search, he claimed to be holding on to a glimmer of hope the girls would be found safe and well, and that he had last seen the girls walking in the direction of a local library. 
Maxine Carr was also interviewed by the press during the second week of the search for the girls. In this live interview, Maxine corroborated Huntley's claims to have conversed with them on their doorstep as she had been bathing before the girls had walked away from the doorstep. Adding, I only wish we had asked them where they were going. If only we knew what then what we know now. Then we could have stopped them or done something about it. When talking about the girls, Maxine displayed a thank you card to this reporter, which had recently been given to her by Holly on the last day of, sc- of the school year. Referring to Holly in past tense, Maxine stated, She was just lovely, really lovely, before making a direct appeal to to the children. Just get on the phone and just come home, or if somebody's got them, just let them go. But she'd already fucked up by this point. Now, the things with Maxine, she obviously wasn't there when the girls died. We we know that, 100%. There's eyewitness accounts that shows that at the time of the girls' death, she was in Grimsby. So she wasn't there. A lot of people suspect that because of how abusive Huntley was to her, when he told her what he'd done, she was too scared to do anything, just in case he did the same to her. And that's why she went along with it, but no one really knows why she did officially go along with it. By the second week of the girl's disappearance, Huntley had begun to lose weight and was displaying visible symptoms of insomnia. Which is a clear sign of, I'm guilty as fuck. One officer, to one officer, he said, You think I've done it? I was the last person to see them. Well, yeah, I see. He's panicking. He's shitting himself now. Before he started crying. His erratic behaviour and apparent dis- distress led him being prescribed antidepressants on the 13th of August. How the fuck did he get that prescription that quick? Having participated in the search for Holly and Jessica, Huntley regularly asked police officers questions such as how their investigation was going and how long DNA evidence would survive before deteriorating. This moron went to police officers and asked them how long does does DNA last on someone before it deteriorates? He went to a police officer and asked this. That's not a question you ask no, every day. No. So that's it. And police officers, and if there's any police officers who are listening, how many times has someone ever said that to you? Yeah, you know what? You don't. I want to know this. Any of any of police officers that are listening to this, if you have listened to us slag off the police force many times and have gone through it, um, what is the stupidest thing someone has ever asked you that made you just go, what have you been up to? I mean, it's pre-times where people are really Googling stuff, so I guess he doesn't have a phone to Google an answer for this. But even then, you know, going up to someone and asking, you know, if I went up to someone and asked a question like that, they'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what? what? What the fuck? You know when you have conversations and people just say the most random thing out of the blue and you're like, the fuck? You know, like if, if we were just having a conversation and one of us went, nah, I wonder what pee tastes like. The other one would be like, the fuck? What? What random ass question? Something's wrong with you. So I can imagine that police officer being like, why are you asking? That's mm, sus. No one, no one just asks that. That's not common knowledge. I don't know and you don't know. I mean, yeah. So, where was that up to... 
So one of these officers ob observed three vertical scratches on Huntley's left jaw, which measured approximately three centimetres, which Huntley claimed had been recently inflicted by his dog. On the 16th of August, two, 12 days after the girls had disappeared, Huntley and Carr were first questioned by police. Both were questioned about for about seven hours. Each provided witness statements before being placed in a safe house in the village of Histon. Now, the police bugged the safe house because they wanted to see if they'd talk about it. They didn't. So it was the one time that they didn't do something like a moron would do. They actually just didn't talk about it. They were hoping that they would slip up, which they just didn't do. So by this date, police had received information from several Grimsby residents who had recognised Huntley in the television interviews that he had been that he had given, and recalled that he had been accused of rape several years earlier. Others said, contrary to her televised claims, Carr had been socialising in Grimsby Town Centre on the night of the girl's disappearance and was not home in Soham like she had claimed to the media. So the police straight away going. Dodgy fucker, she's lying. So, same evening, police conducted a thorough search of both five college close and the grounds of Soham Village College, where Huntley worked as a senior caretaker. Now, the couple remained under police watch at, se at separate locations outside Soham at this point. Each room of Huntley's home had recently been cleaned with what was later described as being a lemony cleaning fluid, but the search of the home revealed many items of major importance to the investigation. The evidence and artefacts were not made public at the time, but the items recovered from the school grounds included items of clothing the girls had been wearing when they were, uh, from when they were last seen. Their charred and cut Manchester United shirts were recovered from a bin in a hangar at Huntley's place of work. Now, this hangar, many articles call it a shed. It's not a fucking shed. That shit is a fucking massive warehouse. They call it a shed. Wait, it's, about, it's about the size of a fucking warehouse. At least. At least a miniature fucking warehouse. Bullshit on the Wait, fact that it's I a... I need to find an image of this. Oh, fucking shed. You don't think that's a shed? Your shed is what you have in the back garden that's made out of wood and it's shit. Wait, what did they say? What did they say? It was a... They said it was a shed, but it's a hang but it's it's been described in other in other articles as a hangar. The hangar at Soham. Well, that thing's huge. What? Yeah. The hangar at Soham. I mean, it has a literal massive metal um, door that would go upwards. Bro, that. That hangar, oh, it's, I mean, it's not even that far from his house, but it's, it, the, it, it, mate, if that's a shed, then, boy, fucking hell. I know, right? That, mate, he is lucky. For a janitor to have that, he could store a ton of shit in there. I know, they call that a fucking shed. So that's funny, when they're at first, when they're like, oh, can we, uh, this could still claim an innocence, by the way, at this point. Uh, they were like, Right, we need access to your shed. And he's like, oh, lost the keys to the shed. And they're like, you lost the keys, you're the caretaker, you've lost the keys to the shed. He's like, yeah, yeah, I lost the keys to the shed. Like, but the bitch is already un a, su a suspect enough as it fucking is. And the little, and the country's going, lost the keys. It's like, you're a, you're a caretaker, you have the spare keys. fucking shit is caretaker. Yeah, and you have spare keys. 
for this kind of shit for when that happens so go get the spare one and he's like do i have a spare one it's like fucking idiot and obviously when he's when he's in these separate locations in a safe house and they're going around his house trying to find shit they found the fucking keys so he hadn't lost the keys because they were literally like on a like nightstand like they were just there so yeah they found the manchester united shirts in the shed uh, five was five was recovered from these from the shirts were a precise match to samples retrieved from Huntley's uh, body and clothing, as well as from five college clothes. His fingerprints were also recovered from the bin. His car was also forensically examined on the sixteenth of August. This revealed that the car had also been recently extensively cleaned, but traces of mixture of brick dust, chalk, and concrete were found around the wheel arches and a and on and around the pedals. A cover from the rear seat was missing, and the lining of of the boot had recently been removed and replaced with an ill-fitting section of household carpet. Huntley's trial opened at the opened at the new at the old Bailey on the fifth of November two thousand and three. He was placed he was faced with two murder charges, while Maxine was charged with perverting the course of justice and, and assisting an offender. Huntley admitted that the girls had died in his house but claimed that he had accidentally knocked Holly into the bath while helping her control a nosebleed. Don't help nosebleeds in the bath, you just tilt the head back and put a tissue over the nose. It's fucking simple, man. So Not I'm that hard. Easy. I had a so nosebleed call- today. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit on his fucking reasoning that it was a nosebleed because you just have to tilt the head back, pinch the nose, get some tissue, sorted, you'll be fine. Don't need to go over a fucking bath now, do you? I'm calling Yo, fucking bullshit. Exactly, on this. because that's why I fucking had a nosebleed today. And, and how did you exactly solve it? What the fuck? Uh, I just stuck tissue, uh, one tissue up the nostril. Sorted. Yeah, easy. Done. Easy. And he, then he said that he had accidentally suffocated Jessica when she started to scream because she, because Polly literally died apparently the second that her head hit the bath. The jury oh, rejected no. his claims that the girls had died accidentally and on the 17th of December 2003 returned a majority verdict of guilty on both charges. Good. Huntley was sentenced to life imprisonment with his minimum term to be decided by the Lord Chief Justice at a later date. Maxine was cleared of assisting an offender but found guilty of perverting the courts of justice and was jailed for three and a half years but she was freed under police protection after just five months because she had already spent 16 months on remand. With Maxine, it's one of those awkward ones because it's like, she wasn't she wasn't there. And we don't know why she kind of like tried to hide him. Like, we don't know the reasons why, but she wasn't there. And it's one of those where it's like, she was not going to get life for no. lying. Like, she's not going to get life for that. Like, people who say she should have gone longer, yeah, fine, but she wouldn't have gotten what he got. She was going to be let out. And with the sheer amount of death threats that this woman got, she had to be given a new identity and, li- and live under police protection because there was literally threats against her life. Like, the police were like, if we let her out, she's going to die. <laughs> Mm-hmm. What the fuck else can we do? I, I'm not defending her in any, any way, shape, or form, but I'm trying to make other people understand right now that's why they made that decision. 
After Huntley was convicted, it was revealed that he had been investigated in the past in the past for sexual offences and burglary, but he had still been allowed to work in a school. See, this is what I mean. I'm convinced that any dodgy teacher in schools has had previous shit, and just, no one does background checks anymore. No one does. I've in my lifetime of working professionally, I've worked with two paedophiles because they just didn't do a background check. Do you know all it took for me to? Make to, well, after I found out about these two cunts, all I had to do was Google their names and it popped up. First article, done. It literally, like, people, if you are hiring people, run a background check, man. Just Google them. Just Google the name. Do a background check as much as you can because otherwise you could end up hiring a dodgy person like this. Do a background check. It's not difficult. It took me two fucking seconds to find to find the articles on those two people I worked with. Just fucking do it, man. Yep. Home Secretary David Blunkett uh, ordered an inquiry into these failings, char- uh, chaired by Sir Michael Bit- uh, <laughs> Bitchard, and later ordered the suspension of David Westwood, Chief of, of Humberside Police. Fair. I'd been informed of the discovery of the children's bodies and the evidence of Huntley's guilt, including his fingerprints being recovered from the bin in which the children's clothes had been found. Maxine Carr burst into tears, shouting, No, he can't have been. It can't have been. He hasn't done it. Despite these revelations, she initially remained emotionally attached to Huntley and professed a belief in his innocence to both the police and her family. So God knows what's going on there. In the years since Ian Huntley has been put in prison, he has been repeatedly attacked by other inmates. Not a shock. On the 14th of September 2005, uh, while an inmate at HM Prison Wakefield, of course he is, he was scalded with boiling water by convicted spree killer Mark Hobson. The injuries Huntley received in this attack resulted in him being unable to attend the hearing at which his minimum term of imprisonment was decided. He was transferred from Wakefield to Franklin Prison on the 23rd of January 2008. Oh, he didn't get to meet the other Ian. Good. Two years later, on the 21st of March 2010, he received non-life-threatening injuries to his neck after his throat was slashed by convicted armed robber Damien Folks. The injuries Huntley was... Yeah, it's fucking brutal. But it's non-life-threatening, so I don't give a shit. I mean, I wouldn't have given a shit if it was life-threatening, but, you know, gutted, mate. Uh, the injuries Huntley received in this attack required hospital treatment. Huntley again applied for compensation for both of these attacks, by the way, uh, for the injuries that he received in the attack, seeking £20,000 in damages. What the fuck are you going to do with it? Nothing. Fuck off. Shut up. You're in prison for life, you twat. You're like, what are you going to do with twenty grand? Literally fucking nothing. You're self-centred prick. Shut the fuck up and just die in prison because that's the... Just shut the fuck up. Stop your whining. You're there for a reason. You did what you did. You what? You can't use the money in prison. Shut up. No one can argue with me on that. On the 5th of September 2000, 2006, Huntley attempted to kill himself by taking an overdose of antidepressants. He had accumulated in his, that he had accumulated in his prison cell. In April 2007, he confessed to having sexually assaulted an 11-year-old girl that he had dragged into an orchard in 1997. 
This admission in which Huntley also confessed to having a sexual interest in children while insisting the murders of Holly and Jessica had not been sexually motivated. See, now you've said that, I'm failing to believe you. Now, this was welcomed by the victim of this sexual assault. Following Huntley's admission of, of guilty, this victim issued a press statement in which she confessed to feeling a massive sense of relief because I cannot imagine the hell that girl must have gone through since, since 99, for the past 10 years. Horrible. Of knowing that this happened, tell, probably telling people or keeping it to yourself because you're 11 years old and... Finally, the cunt who did it confesses to it. Now, she said that, yeah, she had a massive sense of relief, but concluded that this statement, concluding this statement with the sentence, yeah, I feel upset that Huntley was still left at large, resulting in the deaths of two innocent children, because it's not like the police didn't know what he was doing. The police knew how dodgy he was, and no one stopped him at all. They knew that he was a paedophile. They knew that he was doing all this dodgy shit. He was reported to social services numerous times. No one did anything. So Maxine Carr was released on probation from HM Prison Foston Hall on the 14th of May 2004 after serving a total of 21 months in prison. She was given a secret identity to protect herself to protect her from threats of attack from vengeful members of the public in addition to being provided with a new home in an undisclosed location. Carr is one of four former prisoners in the UK to be given a new identity upon release. Carr won an injunction on the 24th of February 2005, granting her lifelong anonymity on the grounds that her life would otherwise be in danger. The costs of imposing this order have been reported by differing tabloid newspapers as being between £1 million and £50 million. What? Yeah, so basically you talk about her in the press or you find out who she is or what she looks like now and you post anything about it, you're fucked. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about this before, whether or not we think that rule being in place is a good thing or a bad thing. For her sake, I'm not really asked about it. No, I mean, yeah, she's an evil person. Yeah, like she's not the she's not a good person like at all. But we, it's one of those where we don't even know what the fuck happened with this shit. That's the thing. We don't know what happened. No, but... But, but she's not a good person regardless. But with her, it's kind of like... Well, she's not going to go on to fucking kill someone, is she? she, has, she nah, she, but she, it's still scary, though, to think that you maybe... You could just be walking past her and not know it, yeah. She might, she might be in Manchester now, and you might be walking past her on a daily basis. I'd rather fucking not have that image in my head. But she could be in my village. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, you don't know. I, in your village, I said, you should say city. But she could be anywhere because she's not going to look the same. But that's the that's the creepy thing of, like, the hidden identity thing of, like... Yeah, that's what I don't like about Because she could have completely changed her life around and be, you know, have... Uh, be uh, be a, a, a nice and normal person to people wherever she is now. But nobody will know that she has a deep, dark, hidden past. But that's a lot of money. Yeah. And I've not heard of any cases of anyone outing her. No, no, no one's really done anything. So, here's a fun fact. Years into Huntley's sentence, a woman named Samantha discovered when that discovered when she was fourteen years old that Ian Huntley was her father. Yeah. yeah. Now, oh, yeah. 
Um, for anyone who might be not happy that I've said her name, she has done multiple interviews and articles yep. and stuff like that. Just want she is very open about this, and the reason being is because, I mean, like, yeah, like it was just a shock to her, and also, so basically, she had been researching local crime rates online for a school project, and when she was doing this, she came across a photograph of her mom, of her mom. And it was to do with Ian Huntley. And uh, she was very confused, obviously. And this led her to read more about Ian and what he had done. She fucking hates him. I want to put that out there. She fucking despises him. She absolutely despises him. Her mum refused to let Ian know that he had a daughter. Uh, Good. Because this was for an abusive relationship that she just wanted to forget, which is fair enough. And she refused to let Samantha know who her real dad was because of the murders and also because of the relationship that she had with him. Samantha has an adopted dad, though. Like, she's had she's had a very good upbringing with her dad, technically. Because, let's face it, the, the dad, at the end of the day, is the one who's actually put the effort in and took care of you and done, and done the actual being a dad part. So after discovering who um, her real father was, Samantha, who is now 24 years old, wrote to him in prison in a bid to find out why he murdered the two girls. Huntley replied back to her in 2017, saying, I have, I have given an awful lot of thought about how best to respond and what, if anything. I should say I realise I can't just say no and expect you to accept that. Firstly, I truly don't relish the idea of discussing you of discussion of discussing or you listening to the details of what was unimaginably the most horrendous day of my life fuck off ian furthermore i can promise that even if you could you wouldn't feel any better for it nor would you feel any closer to understanding 15 years on i still don't understand what the hell went went wrong that day and since then she hasn't written to him ever again but he has written to her pleading that she visits him and she's just ignored him um She's like, I'm not going to get an answer, are you? I don't give a shit now. Fuck off. Um, but yeah. That is Ian Huntley. Yeah, also, uh, for anyone that does wonder, the house that he did live in got demolished. Yes, And has. no longer exists. I mean, there's still some things there, because I had a look. It's just a plate of grass. But obviously, um, if you know what happens, that they do... Was it? Is it? Is it, do they call it? They raised, raised house. Is that the thing where like the the circular house gets raised or something? Am I waffling? Because um... I swear I've seen things where it's like they do something to the house if they don't want to demolish it. I'm not too sure. It's something like that. they either demolish the house because of what's happened there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they so knocked it down, um, but yeah, it's gone. Oh, raised house raising is the process of separating a building from its foundation and temporarily raising it with hydraulics. I think people still live in these ten homes with gruesome murders. Ah. I think they do that. Sorry, I think I've seen somewhere that they raise the house so that it's not on the actual ground because they buried someone, stuff like that. I don't know, but it's things knocked down. Um, uh, 
gladly because of what happened there. And you never want... I mean, having a building there, the legacy and what's in it, it's just, just tarnished, so knocking it down is the best thing. Yeah, 100%. I feel for the people even living near there. The people who live in Soham, because it still probably haunts the area of Soham today. Yeah, basically, yeah. But yeah, that is the case of Ian Huntley, the Soham murders. I hope you guys... The dumb cunt. The dumb cunt. Uh, enjoyed this episode. We will be posting this week the helplines for in relation uh, to the the latest episodes that we've done over the past few weeks because we do understand that these ones have been very hard hitting and very focusing on one subject alone. So we will be yeah. uploading some helplines because we understand that this will affect people. We completely get it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if I'm if I'm if I'm seeing my um. My little stats correctly. I do check the podcast stats every every day. You know, oh. we are uh, twenty five plays away from eight hundred. So thank you guys. Ooh, we're getting that. there. I think yeah. we're gonna hit a thousand by the end of the year. You know, <gasps> I think it's possible. Is it possible? I think it is. Well, we gotta get more good key. Yeah. Well, you're picking the one for next this week because I've got get more, more. I've got a lot Delvin. of shit. Bye. I've got a lot of reviews to write up over the, over the next week. So Matt's the one that's covering next I week's case. I have on too, but I'm going to do my best to pick a good case and give you, uh, give you a, uh, uh, wanna say, I want to say a good one, but it seems bad saying that. I want to say an informative one. Fair. But yeah, you guys, thank you guys for listening. We will see you in next week with a case that I will not be aware of until the day. Uh, but yeah. Bye, and thank you, Matt. Bye.